When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Pit Pass Moto, the show that keeps you up to speed on the latest in motorcycling and brings the biggest names in the motorcycle industry right to you. I'm Dave Sulecki. I'm Dale Spangler. And this week, our guest is motorcycle riding jack-of-all-trades, Ryan Sipes. This episode is brought to you by Moto America. Moto America is the home of AMA Superbike and North America's premier motorcycle road racing series with some of the best motorcycle racing on two wheels. Rewatch every round of the 2022 series and catch all the action from each race with the Moto America Live Plus video on demand streaming service. Or visit the Moto America YouTube channel for race highlights and original video content. Look for a complete 2023 schedule coming soon at MotoAmerica.com. And be sure to follow Moto America on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook for real time series updates. Well, Dave, welcome back to America after spending your week. Well, I guess I don't know if you spent a week or a weekend uh, in Italy at the Eichmann Trade Show. I'm sure you got some jet lag going on. Yeah, still trying to dig out from underneath that. It was a week-long ordeal. I think we left on Saturday, came back the following Friday, which was great. Always good to good to go to Italy and uh, check out the motorcycle scene, man. It was great. Yeah, it looked like that show was just absolutely massive this year. All I saw over the weekend, well, like actually probably all last week too, was just tons of new new model intros. Looked like there was a lot of brands bringing out, you know, some EV models. I saw where Kawasaki introduced a hybrid ice alternative. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm I'm interested to hear some of the the cool stuff that you saw over there. Right on about the attendance. It was packed um, as of Thursday on. They go public. First two days are generally trade, but uh, once they open to the public, then the the floodgates open. And I know they get north of a hundred, or excuse me, north of a million people through the place, wow. through the entire venue over the course of the the, the whole event. So sure felt like it uh, when we were there on Thursday. But uh, just a great vibe, real positive, very up. Everybody's very excited about the the industry and the new models that came out. I I, I lost count. I just saw so many new model introductions walking around there, and uh, I bet. Kawasaki's hybrid, I think, to me was one of the more interesting vehicles because uh, I think that's a a really cool solution to the EV question, you know, to have something kind of in between. So that one was pretty cool to me. Yeah. Like a step in between instead of going straight to EV. I thought that was really interesting. And uh, I even saw where they, they had some kind of an experimental hydrogen powered engine on display or something like that, that they're working on as well. I mean, it sounds like they're really working on a lot of different options as opposed to just going straight into an EV. Yeah, I think Kawasaki kind of threw down the gauntlet on the whole EV thing when they came out with that statement a couple months ago about having all EV by 2035, I think it was. The fact that they're focusing on other technologies and kind of including those things is pretty cool. And and I think it's kind of a punch in the nose to some of the other manufacturers because they just want to throw their weight around because they are big. So 
that one was interesting. And those were concept vehicles. So maybe in the next few years, we'll see something roadworthy, I guess, maybe out of that. Who knows? Yeah. It just seems like a pretty smart idea to have that hybrid version where, you know, we're not really quite there yet to where we can go full EV. You know, they don't have quite the the mileage, you know, the distance you can go. So being able to kind of have something that, you know, is able to, to, you're able to use both. I mean, it seems like a smart sort of transition before we get into full EV. Yeah, good compromise all around. And a lot of other exciting vehicles, Honda launched the new Fireblade, the CBR1000RR-R and their 750 Transalp. And I saw a new vehicle from Royal Enfield. I thought uh, you might be interested in hearing that, Dale. Yeah. At the 650? Yeah, it's a super meteor 650. So they launched the 350 last year, and now they have a 650 version. So that was cool. And uh, Ducati was, obviously, you're in Italy. So Ducati definitely was on the gas with new models with a new Diablo, a new Panigale V4R at 240-some horsepower, the Multistrada, and then a new Scrambler line. So Ducati definitely, I think, Likes to be the centerpiece of that show as far as new models, and they did a good job of that. Yeah, I even saw where I think Aprilia uh, intro to an EV. I don't know if it's, you know, like a full production eventually or not, but then even Raiju, which if some of our listeners aren't familiar, Raiju is kind of like the old, it used to be um, Gas Gas. And then when Gas Gas got bought by the KTM group, they renamed it Raiju because it's kept their old technology and have sort of, you know, kept moving forward. And so I saw where they even introduced an off-road EV bike. So I was completely surprised by them. Uh, they're a Spanish company. And so lots of just, uh, yeah, big surprises from what I saw. And then I even saw where, like, I don't know if you got to go, Dave, but it looks like they had some racing going on outside the the uh, venues as well. They always do. They always have a lot of uh, good interaction with the attendees. You know, people can touch, feel, and ride. So they do a good job of involving the people coming in and trying out new models. Uh, I just remember seeing Royal Enfield had a ride going on where you could hop on a bike and do laps. So those are good things. I think it it's it just really gets you in touch with the end users and they get to experience your vehicle. So they had a lot of those things going on. Me personally, being in the industry, I was kind of locked into the booth for a good part of the the time I was there. But really, just what I got from it was very, very good B two B type discussions in the industry, and just a very strong vibe in Europe. Uh, Parts Unlimited, I want to just mention, was was there in force and uh, absolutely had the biggest presence of the uh, aftermarket distributors. So had a good discussion with their uh, chairman of the board, Paul Langley. Spent some time with Paul and. Paul's always great because he's a uh, he's a Royal Enfield fanatic too, just like you and I. And he's got a really really kick ass big bore 650 that I want to eventually one day get to. So uh, he was good to talk to. But it, takeaway from that was just that Parts Unlimited Europe is is on the gas and growing, and their presence there was huge. I was really kind of blown away by that. Well, that kind of goes into what we were discussing on you know one of our last shows, the last few shows about them you know signing back up for AIM Expo, and so and you kind of had that idea that maybe he was a little bit behind it, and that it sounds a little bit like that might be the case. Yeah, he kind of squared that opinion, so no doubt that Paul is pro industry, and and their slogan "support the sport" is something that he's behind, and and it shows. So that I took away as being a very positive thing. And, and a lot of the other presence of the aftermarket was was very positive. Just a great vibe and, and proof that the industry is growing and strong, which I really, really like to see. Really, the only negative discussions were discussions about energy costs and how that may affect the power sports world and the war, of course. You know, all of those things get into the discussion, but we're moving forward. Everybody's uh, 
got a good outlook and uh, I walked away from the, the whole event on a very, very positive mindset. I feel like this is really just that one last confirmation that we're, we're through all this pandemic kind of era stuff and the industry seems to be back in full force in some respects. And so hopefully that carries over into AIM, you know, next year here in the States. And I'm curious to know, though, was there any like, what was one of the biggest surprises of the show? I know I'm kind of putting you on the spot, but I'm just wondering if there was something that you were like, wow, I didn't expect to see that here or just something that kind of blew you away, maybe. Really just the uh, the things we talked about, the the big focus from all of the major manufacturers towards electric vehicles, EVs. To me, I, I expected some of that. I just didn't expect as much of it as I saw. And just a lot of discussion, which uh, I think is a positive. I think uh, we'll have to see over the next few years what that really turns into as far as vehicles on the ground and vehicles sold. But uh, definitely that was my surprise takeaway is I didn't expect so much of that as I saw. Cool. Well, it's good to have you back. I'm sure it was a fun trip as we talked before we came on the uh the food's pretty hard, pretty, uh, pretty hard to pass up. Yeah. <laughs> I hit the gym this morning, which was a good thing. I need to get some of those pounds back that, uh, that I picked up, uh, eating all that nice food over there to be in Italy that time of year. And, uh, to just have access to that kind of food is just, it's almost criminal, but, uh, feeling better. Finally, uh, exercise, maybe, uh, I can melt some of those pounds away. <laughs> well, not too far from, uh, where you're at there in Milan, over in Paris, uh, the Paris Supercross was back this past weekend and, uh, wow some great action there the track looked like it was amazing it looked like a full supercross track the crowd packed house at the uh, la defense arena in paris um this is the new new uh stadium that they're racing at for this paris event it used to always be held at the, the paris bercy stadium which is in downtown paris but this is kind of on the outskirts but it looks like an amazing venue as always that event is just kind of over the top with the entertainment value you know, they had mini bike races. They had all kinds of other contests going on and just freestyle riders. It looks like it's a long, grueling event. I know I actually was able to attend that way back in 1997 when it was in Bercy Stadium. And it was grueling then. It was three days of racing then. So for these guys, two days, you know, full schedule, three main events each night. And uh, wow, Ken Roxon, what can I say, man? He, was, he looked absolutely amazing. Beats Eli Tomac for the King of Paris. And uh, pretty incredible. I think it's good science coming into uh, Anaheim 1 for Kenny. It is good. And I, I think these events really favor Kenny, these one-off special events like we saw with World Supercross. He just seems to shine. And he definitely looked more comfortable and relaxed on that bike. Whatever they did, whatever they've done with that Honda to get it set up, he's he's in sync with it. And you could tell because where Tomac used to kind of really get in his head and and beat him fairly easily, I would say. It was the complete opposite this weekend. I just to see Kenny come back and pass Tomac and take wins on a track that Tomac actually liked because he was known to say that uh, he thought it was technical but fun. He really liked the dirt, but just, you know, it wasn't in the cards. So uh, good on Kenny, man. He just, uh, he looks smooth, comfortable, fast, all the things you need to be. So I can't wait to Anaheim, man. I can't wait to see what he's going to be riding because I think that's still somewhat of a mystery. Yeah. Just a little bit ago before we came on air here, I saw a social media post from Kenny where he was went to Spain after Paris and re is riding the Stark Varg on a Supercross track. How cool is that, man? He just looked absolutely silky smooth on that thing. And, of course, it sounds strange, you know, hearing him go through whoops and all that. But he looked really fast on that thing right away. So next couple of weeks will be interesting for Kenny to find out where he lands. It sounds like there might be a good chance that he could end up on the team that he's riding for for World Supercross, the genuine Honda team, 
potentially ride for the American version of it, which is the Firepower Honda team. So it'll be interesting to see if they can work something out there. And uh, if he's that comfortable on the bike, obviously, you know, they've done something to make it work. Because it looked to me like the suspension was just working so well. He was incredible through the whoops and pairs. Yeah, he was. And and uh, I think Tomac, because he rode the 2022 bike, should have been just as comfortable, but it just wasn't syncing up for him. He had a tough qualifier to get into that uh, second night. And uh, I think he lost some gate positions because he uh, came up short on a quad and he said he saw stars. So he hit pretty hard. That might have shook him for the night. Yeah. yeah who, who knows? <laughs> that may have affected him throughout the whole evening. But uh, it'll be exciting to see when they line up for Anaheim how things are going to go because you've got a rejuvenated highly competitive Kenny. Can he do it for a whole season? Because it's a long season. I don't know, but I'm excited to see it. I can't wait. And I got one last question about this. And before we talk about the 250 class, the SX2, why isn't this event part of World Supercross? It just seems like it would be a natural dovetail into that to expand that race into, you know, late November. I, I don't get it, but I don't control those things. So yeah, I know, like, you know, the people behind that event, you know, Eric Perinard and, and some of his other uh, partners, uh, like, I don't know if there's just, you know, maybe there's some talks because that that makes absolute sense. It seems like the timing would be, timing would be right too, you know, it's it's right around the same time. So I think it'd be awesome if they ended up adding it, but I guess only time will tell on that. But how about 38-year-old Justin Brayton landed on the podium? It beat Cooper Webb and Marvin, Marvin Muskan. He looked really good too. Um, so, you know, Rox, Rox and Tomac Brayton made up the podium and pretty stoked to see Brayton on there. The guy just seems like he just keeps getting better as like a fine wine. Yeah, he was in contention. And uh, I don't know. I, I, I don't want to overanalyze and maybe go along with the message boards, but those KTMs look like they weren't doing as well as the other bikes out there. Yeah. But, uh, you know, your top five, you still have Webb and, and uh, Marvin. But there seemed to be, I guess, a little bit off the pace. The whoops were maybe their weak point. Yep. Throughout the evening where I saw just Roxon just run up on those guys and pass him. And Brayton, too. Give him credit because he, he passed uh, Marvin late in that third moto on the second night to, to get onto the box. So, you know, there's definitely something going on there. So we'll have to see how that develops into the new season. Yeah, it's got to be frustrating for, like, Webb. You could kind of tell there were some times where he just, he would kind of mess up a section and almost kind of, like, just give up for a second and be like, man, I just wish I could get this figured out, you know, because it's just... One thing after the other for him, but, you know, he's Cooper Webb, so you know he's going to be a contender come A1 and, you know, the American Series. So, But how about a 250, you know? Surprise win. Big time, yeah. Yeah, I thought it was going to be Chris Blows. It was Chris Blows all the way on Saturday. He looked unstoppable, but then a little bit of bad luck on Sunday. He crashed in the third main, and uh, it was the Matt Moss show. He said it was his first win in six years after uh, he had a four-year suspension from WADA. I believe that it is the the uh, world anti-doping association you are correct sir yep him and his brother i think both had a you know four-year suspension mm -hmm. both australian riders and so he kind of disappeared for a while and then you know it sounds like he uh landed this ride with you know bud kawasaki and he made the best of it and he was super emotional on the podium and it was it was really cool to see him just kind of letting loose and letting some emotion come out because i mean how can you do a better comeback than that? <laughs> I mean, yeah, really, go out and, and win, you come back, go racing, and you win it. So, you know, he had a kind of an off night the first night, too. It's like, oh, okay, well, he's probably going to be a top three. But, you know, then he goes and just destroys him on, on night two. 
I was pulling for Jace Owen. I'm a big Jace Owen fan. I really like him in Arena Cross. Yeah. And uh, he made a go of it in Supercross. You know, he, that's a big step up, I know. But he looked good, man. He just, uh, he had some consistency, but just, you know, just a little bit off the off the pace there to where he finished uh, second on the on the weekend. But uh, yeah, blows, man. That's a, that's a heartbreaker going down in the whoops like that and uh, kind of throwing it all away. Yeah, looked like he hurt himself a little bit too. And I guess that's where I was heard Mathis on the, on the uh, telecast talking about how they call him zombie because he just see when he crashes, he just gets back up and doesn't seem to phase him. But he looked like he was hurting a little bit on the podium there, holding his shoulder or something a little bit. But uh, overall, I think it was great. I think it was a really good precursor going into A1 as to, you know, how, how things might settle. I mean, I know we got to have over a month to go, but uh, with this track being so, so close to a real AMA Supercross track, I thought it was a really good indicator. Whoops were deep. So I think it just really kind of showed where I think some of the some of the riders are going to land here come A1. Always does. It's a precursor to the new season, and uh, it was cool to see. So uh, that, I think, wraps up our Euro edition yeah. of the all-access discussion this week. Um, good times, though. Uh, it was fun to watch some racing, and uh, it was it was good to travel. But as I, as I said before we went on the air, it's good to be home, too. Yep. Well, looking forward to this. our guest coming on here in just a minute. Definitely an awesome all-around jack-of-all-trades, Ryan Sipes, the general. Looking forward to speaking with him, talking to him about his uh, injury at the start of the year, how he's how he's doing coming back from that. And so uh, here we go. All right, we'd like to welcome to Pit Pass Moto, Ryan Sipes, the general. How you doing, Ryan? Oh, I'm pretty good today. How are you guys? Doing well. Well, it's been nearly a year since your overjump crash there, Ryan. And uh, how's the recovery coming along? I think I saw, unfortunately, where you had to go in back in for, I think it might have been a third procedure. Just seems like it's been a tough year for you. Yeah, it's been, uh, it'll be 11 months here soon since the crash. So it's been a tough, long year. But um, yeah, just had my third surgery. The first two just just didn't work for different reasons, but uh, I'm hoping this this last one is more the one that will finally get me get me fixed up. Cause I'm man, I'm tired of being on these crutches and not being able to do what I love to do, and you know, run around, play with the kids, stuff like that. Yeah, cause you're, I mean, you're doing is one of those probably one of the most active riders out there. Seems like you're always doing something, racing different types of you know disciplines of racing, and just you're just enjoying it. But uh, you know, back to your injury though. I mean, it seems like to me, you know, from the outside looking in, I mean, the mental strength that that it requires to recover from an injury like yours, um, it's traumatic, can mess with your mind. I mean, how have you dealt with this throughout the last 11 months? I mean, it's, it seems like it's just had to have been tough. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, man. Um, it's not all been, you know, happy times. I've had a couple times that were not fun and, you know, got kind of down and stuff, but the biggest thing for me is I got to be here for my family, whether I'm a motorcycle racer or not, and whether I can walk or not, and whether I'm in pain or not, I need to be here for my family. And that's one of the big things is um, I got to be positive and happy and not act like nothing's wrong, but you know what I mean, still be there and still be a dad and a husband and all that kind of stuff. And that's more important than anything that I'm doing is kind of making sure I'm here for them. Yeah, I, I was going to say, it seems like you have a, a massive support system in your family, your boys riding now. So I, I would assume that's probably kind of allowed you to refocus on something, kind of take your mind off of, of the injury and just 
you know, think about motorcycles that, that we all love to think about. Yeah. Yeah. Which he's, he's been racing and stuff. So that's been fun, but, but also frustrating at the same time, because if I, you know, being on crutches and stuff, I, it's hard for me to work on his bikes. I can't load them into the van. I can't, you know, get the pressure washer out, stuff like that. That's just the frustrating little things. But um, the good thing is, like you said, I got a great family and stuff. So my dad comes over and helps out with that stuff. And it's actually been a good, a cool teaching moment for my son because I'm like, hey, bud, I can't do this stuff. Like, you got to help me out. And, uh, you know, so teach him how to change oil, teach him how to put an air filter in, little stuff like that. So that's been cool. It's just, you know, try to find the positives in it. So I notice, uh, Ryan, where you've entered into the podcast world also with the Whiskey Throttle segment, the power of the mind that uh, that you do. Talk about how you got into that. What led to that opportunity? <laughs> Probably too much time on the couch. <laughs> but uh, I was listening to, to Ping's um, one that he was doing on the Whiskey Throttle deal where he would, I think the first one I listened to was maybe um, Brad Lackey or somebody like that. And it's like, you know, these guys that are, they're already done racing older guys or even some of them are recently retired but um and it was so cool the way he went all the way back to basically the beginning you know how'd you get into racing and he goes into so much detail basically every race throughout their whole career i don't go that far but i liked hearing all that stuff and then i was i believe that the racing and and really your success in life and your happiness in life is really has a ton to do with your mindset and like how you how strong you are mentally or the condition of your mind like if you let it kind of run wild or let it you know get toxic it can be your enemy but if you're you know have the right support system around you and you you um, train your brain the right way, you know, it's your best friend because you can make a bad situation. You, you'll be fine because you have the right mindset. So started thinking about that and I got extra time right now. Like, it's not like I, I got a ton going on. You know, I just wanted to, to get into that for me to learn while I'm down, I might as well be learning, you know, so when I come back, I can be even better or as good as I once was, whatever. And so I thought, man, I want to get into this to learn. But then I thought, I think I can help some people too, because people go through, you know, tough times where there's injury or family stuff or financial burden, whatever. And your mindset has a, a lot to do, whether, you know, if you're going to get through that okay, or, you know, if you're going to let it get you down. So um, my favorite part is hearing because we all deal with things differently. But to all these guys that I've had on are all, you know, former racers or current racers. And, you know, how you how do you deal with, you know, the pressure and how do you deal with failure? How do you deal with injury and, and all that kind of stuff? It's it's awesome for me, like for me personally to learn it. But I've also had um, so far a lot of people saying that it's helping them or they like it at least, which has been gratifying and makes me want to do more, you know, and, and uh, I'm having a good time with it. So kind of with that in mind, I mean, you've done some uh, some riding schools with AJ Cantonzero, and uh, does that give you that opportunity now to take this perspective about, I guess, say the mental side of racing and help educate young racers in a different way where typically you're teaching skills, you know, you do this on a bike, this is how you brake, this is how you jump. Does this give you that opportunity or avenue and to kind of inject some knowledge that you have now from a mental side, how to prepare for the sport? I haven't done much of that yet. My plan is once I am done racing, I'm not done yet. I want to come back and race again. But once I am done, I want to get into the coaching side and, and try to help riders 
you know, learn how to go faster, ride safer, all that stuff. And if I do some one-on-one stuff with guys like that, definitely I would, um, if they want to hear it, I would tell them, you know, all the things I've learned on the mental side. And, but, um, on the clinics we did this summer, um, you know, you only got a few hours a day. So it's like, you know, we're just kind of focusing on the, on the, um, technique and stuff like that. But if I can help somebody to get through a bad, you know, bad time a little bit easier, like, yeah, that's, that sounds great to me. So I'm all, all for it. I think I even saw where you, uh, you gave yourself the nickname, the crutching instructor. Yeah. <laughs> you having to hobble around. <laughs> it wasn't me. Somebody, somebody else might have, or maybe it was me. Maybe I don't remember. I don't know. <laughs> it's probably Cat and Sarah or somebody like that. But yeah, back to, uh, I, I'm just really, um, like amazed with the versatility of, of your riding. Like, I feel like no matter what you got on, you know, whether it's a flat track bike, you're racing Erzberg, GNCC, you've always done, you've excelled. I mean, where did this come about, this sort of challenge to try all these different disciplines? Um, I was thinking maybe it had something to do with Gas Gas because it seemed like it sort of came about when you connected with them, but really cool idea, and it's just just fun to watch, you know, as a fan. Well, thanks. Um, no, it actually started 2018, so I quit doing Supercross full-time in thir- after 13, and then I went to GNCC for four years did that for a while but I was kind of just getting burnt out not enjoying it that much anymore and my last year full-time GNCC I, you know GNCC it's three hours of just torture I mean you're riding as hard as you can through the roughest track and trees and everything else it's hot I mean there's 800 other riders on the track there's lappers everywhere and it's three hours long and then you know at any point your bike could break you could crash whatever it's a brutal sport. It's a brutal discipline of, you know, of dirt bike racing. But I was just kind of kind of over it, not not really having a lot of fun anymore. And I went and did this fun little, they called it a 125 dream race at the time. It was 2017 in Colorado. And I told my team that I was racing for in GNCC. I'm like, I need to do something different. I need to get out of the woods and just go have some fun. They're like, yeah, sounds good. So I went over there, did that race, and I should have won that race. Like, I won the race, but I should have won. Like I was, you know, I was the best guy there. And it wasn't like I was racing Eli Tomac and Ken Rocks. And it was, you know, it was some good guys, but I should have won. Um, but I won. And then like the magazines went nuts. I got pictures in every magazine, all interviews with people all over the websites and stuff. And I go, I am doing it the wrong way. I'm racing, you know, doing all these GNCCs to get just no publicity at all compared to doing this silly little 125 race and I get all this stuff. So I'm like, well, what if I just do a bunch of everything? Like what if instead of trying to get, say it's 60% of the GNCC crowd to pay attention to me, what if I got 20% of them, 20% of moto, 20% of flat track, 20, you know, and it's on and on and on. That's going to add up to a whole lot more. And at the time I was riding for myself, basically, I was putting all my sponsors together by myself and my, you know, making all my money deals and stuff. And uh, I'm like, that's worth more to sponsors than, you know, just struggling to get on the podium at GNCC. Like, what if I could do this, all this other stuff? And it was a shot in the dark. It was a risk. And to be honest, most of my sponsors at the time were like, eh, we don't know. We'll, we'll stay with you one more year and let you try it. Uh, which they were awesome that they did, but they weren't sold on it whatsoever. Uh, but then about halfway through the year, Red Bull called and they're like, hey, what you're doing, we we like that. We want you to come ride for us and do it. So that's how that all started. 
That's so cool. It's almost like you flipped the script and then just said, I'm going to do things that are fun to me and then sort of like the rest will follow, you know, and it kind of goes back to that power of the mind again. Like you're just, you know, like it's such a difference when you get on a motorcycle and you have that, I'm going to have fun mindset as, as opposed to just doing it as a job or it's a chore. And I feel like that has come across in, you know, in your, your videos and all the stuff you've done. And of course, like you said, it, it just blew up to where everybody was wanting to see what you're going to do next. And so, uh, is there any of these disciplines that you've done that really kind of stand out as something that surprised you and just had an absolute blast? Well, yeah, first of all, it is a lot of fun doing all the different stuff. It's a challenge. It's a, a real challenge. And I think the main reason is because you can only ride if you're doing four different things, like say it's moto and flat track and hard enduro and whatever else. Uh, say it's only three. There's only so many days in a week. So it's not like you can get in this groove. Like if you're only doing Supercross, you do it three or four days a week and that's all you do. Where if it's, you know, you're doing three, it's kind of like, yeah, I can do that one day and this one day and this one day. So it has been a challenge, but super fun. And there's always a learning curve, which is actually just had Zach Osborne on the other day. And he said that that was the fun thing for him too. It's like a, after such a long time in moto, you don't see the, you don't see gains anymore or you might, but it's a half a percent here and there where if you jump into something you've never done before, you're obviously not very good at it to start with, but you, you might see a five or 10% gain in one day. And that's a really fun kind of thing to do. Um, it's exciting too, you know, like to learn something new like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's a blast. And it's, it's scary to jump into something you've never done. Um, because yeah, you're probably going to suck at it and you're, you know, you're probably not going to be that good, but it's a freeing feeling too. Like there's no pressure to go do well. So you almost do a lot better just because there is no pressure and you're, you're trying to have fun. You're trying to learn. You're there to just do the best you can. Uh, if that makes any sense. No, it makes perfect sense. And I think I was uh, checking out some interviews with you where you're talking about flat track racing. And what you said about flat track racing, I think, was forget everything you know or think you know about turning on a dirt bike and just forget about it because it's completely different when you jump on a flat track bike. Is that true? Oh, yeah. Flat track was surprisingly the most fun. Before I did it, the first time I did it was 2017. First time I ever rode one, anything. And I, I thought it looked fun to slide around, but I thought it would get old quick because you're just going in a circle. There's no ruts. There's no bumps. There's no jumps. I'm like, you know, this is going to be cool, but I'm going to, I'm not going to do it a lot, but it's like addicting. It's so fun to slide around like that. And it doesn't look like you're doing much. There, there's so much going on. And yeah, to your point on the, the technique, yeah, everything you know about, you know, uh, turning a dirt bike on a motocross track, yeah, you're, it's all different on the flat track. Some of it is total opposite. That's the other kind of tricky part about doing a little bit of everything is, um, so today I'm riding a moto track, tomorrow I'm on the flat track. Well, if I just carry these techniques I worked on today on moto over to flat track, I'm doing it backwards. I got to go, I got to stop and think, nope, this is the things I need to do on this type of racing and in, in, it's different than the other type. So, and it's the same way since you mentioned it with like national enduro and, and I do some woods racing too. <laughs> Forget everything you know about turning because you can't lean. 
there's a tree in on the inside of the corner. You know what I mean? So, but that makes it fun. It, it used to frustrate me when I didn't know how to do things and I wasn't very good at it, but now it's like, it's such a challenge and it's so fun to go, Oh, I'm not any good. I better figure it out now, like real fast. So that's been a fun part too. Well, and on the flat track side, you've got some some good uh, teachers, I guess. I know, uh, I think I, I heard that uh, your buddies with J.D. Beach, and uh, there's no better guy to learn from, especially uh, on a 450 on a flat track. He's one of the best in the business, no doubt. Yeah, J.D.'s awesome, and he's been a, a really good friend and teacher to me. He's the one that got me into it. I met him and, and went and rode with them the first time, and that, after that first day, I was like, yep. I'm, I'm coming back. And he's the one that talked me into racing my first flat track. So that's been good. And, and Johnny Lewis also, he's been a, a big help to me when I'm down in Florida. So it's nice to have fast friends, I guess, whenever you're trying to get into something that you don't know what you're doing. For sure. Now, it's some of those guys, you know, they like to uh, get on the road race track too. Did any of them try to talk you into that? I want to. That's like the last frontier for me is doing something on pavement. I had an opportunity. I could have done some this year, but it, you know, obviously I got hurt, but I'm not trying to go do Moto America or anything like that. I don't think that that's not something you can just jump in and do. But yeah, I want to at least try it before I'm too old and too scared to go that fast anymore. I want to go out there and, and just see what I got, go ride with some good guys and, and just see what it's like, because it looks like a lot of fun. We'd like to take a break from the interview right now and pay some bills. And here's a word from our sponsor. Running should be simple. Just put on your shoes and go. And yet, when you try to learn about how to get better at it, especially as you age, you're confronted with conflicting advice, complicated workouts, and confusing nutrition trends that just won't work for you. On The Planted Runner, I'll share exactly how to run faster, longer, and feel great doing it at any age because you don't have time to waste. I'm Coach Claire Bartholik, and I went from not running at all in my late 30s to finishing a marathon in 2.58 at age 42, all on a plant-based diet. I've helped hundreds of runners achieve new personal records well into their 60s and even 70s with science-backed training, plant-based nutrition, and proven mental strength techniques. Each episode of The Planted Runner is like a private coaching session on the run where you'll learn from me and the guests I interview. You'll get actionable lessons to help you become a better runner every week and reach goals you never thought possible. Whether you're training for your first 5K or your 50th marathon, take along The Planted Runner on your next run. Let me show you how your best running is still ahead of you. So tell us a little bit about the Red Bull Imagination. Because that thing just, I can't even really wrap my head around that, that event. It just seems like it keeps getting bigger and bigger every year. And you're one of the guys that were there at the start. And so tell us about that experience. I mean, to be amongst those riders and hitting these jumps that are just next level. Yeah, it's, uh, it's big and it's scary and all that stuff that everybody thinks. Well, first of all, it's bigger. It's way bigger in person than it is than it looks on TV. <laughs> That's the first thing, <laughs> which it looks big on TV, so you know it's massive. Like you got some of the best free ride guys in the world there going, I don't know about this one. Like this is big. And these guys do this. That's their job. You know, they're not scared of anything. And they're going, yeah, this looks gnarly. But I really – enjoy a challenge and I live for that challenge to go how far can you push yourself or how good can you be so when we when we go there 
it's like, well, if he hit it, then I could probably hit it too. You know, I just need to listen to his bike and listen to the revs and see what gear he's in and all that kind of stuff. And the best thing about that, well, number one, it's like the, it's probably the most fun week I've had on a dirt bike because you're just doing the coolest jumps the entire time. You don't sweat. It's not, it's not rough. You know, there's no ruts. It's just perfectly shaped faces and downsides as far as you can see and and you get to hit all that stuff for a week but it is scary but it's actually pretty safe as long as you're kind of smart with like i don't go and hit stuff first i let uh tyler bearman go hit it and then i'll you know listen to his bike and i'll go hit it if once he hits it i kind of know if i got it or not but the best thing with jason baker building all the jumps and stuff it's you you know that the face is never going to throw you weird or kick you or anything like that. And if Jason says, hit this jump in third gear, half throttle, you know you'll make it. Like he's that good that he could, and he's not jumped it, but he could build it and then tell you exactly how to hit it. So if we had a janky track builder, I would I would feel a lot more at risk. But with Jason doing that and then with all the riders there, like Colby and Axel and Tyler and all those dudes, um, it's a cool little group. Like everybody gets along and we kind of like feed off each other. Like once, you know, this guy jumps this one. And then so the next guy's like, well, yeah, I'm going to hit this one. And it's just a, it's a competitive environment, but you're just, you're just hitting jumps with your buddies. So it's super fun too. Yeah. And like you said, you kind of feed off of each other and it's not like the competition where you hide things. It's more of like you share things to where you, everybody's helping each other and stoke when somebody hits something first. And so it just seems like the camaraderie at the events like that is it's got to be a fun part of the experience as well. And I guess another cool part of my job or the way the schedule that I do is like no matter which what weekend it is, what I'm doing that weekend, I'm with, you know, say 10 to 30 of the best dudes in the world at whatever I, at whatever we're doing that weekend. So this weekend I'm with the best flat trackers and this weekend I'm with the best supercross guys. And then, you know, you got there, that's the best free riders in the world. And so, you know, like you're in the presence of some bad dudes and it's, it's always fun. Like I always try to get some jerseys and stuff just because like, I'm a, I'm still a fan too, even though I'm kind of in with them and kind of part of it, but it's like, I got a cool job. I guess I could say, you could say, because I get to hang out with some really, really rad dudes. So speaking of hanging out with some rad dudes, though, so let's talk about this event you have coming up November 28th through December 3rd with Travis Pastrana, the Terra Inferno Hard Enduro. This looks like it's going to be fun. And what is even cooler about it to me is the more we've been talking to you with your versatility on the bike, it almost seems like that's what this event is going to be, where you're riding these multiple different disciplines, and then whoever's the best all-around rider win. I mean, so, so tell us about this thing. How did the idea come about? And it just, man, it just sounds like it's going to be a fun, fun event. Yeah, this would be the perfect event for me if I were healthy, because uh, it's a, it is a little bit of everything. The I think the first race is going to be a moto race, but it's in and out of a quarry, so lots of elevation change, and and I think going to be some really unique obstacles and stuff out there. And then it's going to go to a a two hour day hard enduro. Uh, and they have some pretty gnarly stuff down there. They don't have a ton of elevation, but they have, I mean, the rocks and stuff. And it's slippery, I think, makes it pretty tricky. The next day is going to be a night 
hard enduro. So headlights, you know, bike lights, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then the last day is the beach race. And it's all those obstacles that you see, you know, the guys riding through the old World War II bomber plane and then uh, jumping up on the platform and going out on the bridge out over the water into the wooden berm, all that stuff. That's on the last day. And that's a I think that's an hour or two hour race. It's a long race. But we've tried to get just kind of guys from every discipline and guys that are going to, I think, come down and make it fun and, and be competitive. And because, you know, a moto guy coming down is going to do do well, I think, in the first and last races. But he might struggle in the middle and, you know, in the hard enduro and where, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure uh, Mario Roman and Manny Lettenbeck are coming down. So they're going to probably struggle in the, you know, the first and last one, but be great in the middle too. So I'm looking forward to seeing how it all shakes out because it really is kind of who's the best all around. Well, for sure, Ryan, um, we would be remiss if we didn't uh, at least mention or talk about your place in moto history as the first American to win the international six-day enduro. And we just wanted to take a minute and congratulate you on that because uh, that is a monumental accomplishment in racing. And uh, you stand alone, man. That uh, What uh, some of your best memories from that event? Well, thanks. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's probably my my proudest achievement, I guess, uh, in racing is just that because, you know, like you said, it had never been done before. And it wasn't that I was the best on in one, only one day. You know, if you win that, if you're the top individual rider, you were the best guy for six days straight and, uh, in the world. And that's like, I'm not bragging or, or anything like that. I'm just saying that, you know, if a guy wins that, like it's a legit dude, like some of the best enduro riders in history have been some of the ones that won that thing. So that made, made it really, really special for me. But it was a, I don't know, like day one, you know, I won the first two tests and it was like, wait, like I was just trying to be smooth. And then I learned real quick that that was where I needed to be because when I tried harder, you know, I'm like, well, hey, if I won those, watch this. Now I'm going to go fast. And then I crashed everywhere, you know. So I I had to learn like what where that line was. And then uh, it's like you know, day four, I pulled, I really like buckled down and just tried to pull away. And I did. And I got a bit this big lead. But then it's like day five, like you still have to go fast, but you can't go too fast. You don't want to crash. And, you know, so learning to kind of manage that like just like managing a championship, you know, I consider it to be a, a championship because it it is a long race and there's so much riding. We were on the bikes for, you know, six to eight hours a day. So it's a it's a lot to manage. And then, you know, final moto should be, you know, the easy part. And and I did, I won it, whatever, but just the the nerves of that and then being able to deliver and making it happen is like I said, probably my proudest moment in racing and and one of the best memories for sure as it should be and definitely you've had a, a very huge and wide career as i like to say because you've just pretty much done it all as dale had mentioned but uh, your record uh, definitely stands alone and uh, you should be proud of that so we wanted to take these last few moments if there's uh, people you want to give shout outs to sponsors and such now would be the time to do that for sure um red bull um, is the biggest part of my program and I've been with them four years now and, and, uh, they've been the best sponsor I've ever had. They've been great. TLD, um, Gas Gas, um, Dunlop, Renthal, Alpine Star Oakley. I mean, there's a long, long list and 
I'm just grateful and thankful that I've been able to make good relationships with these people. A lot of these sponsors for years, you know, being been around for 20 years now almost. So, uh, you know, relationships matter. So the, the guys that I'm with now, they're sticking with me through the injury and all that stuff. So I'm just thankful to all of them. And it's been a been a fun ride and it ain't over yet. I'm, I'm going to come back and I'm going to race if if any way possible. But uh, I'm, I'm thankful for all the people in my corner for sure. Awesome. Definitely. And uh, best place to check you out uh, on the Internet or social media, Ryan? Instagram is the main one. It's just uh, at R underscore Sipes. And then uh, I'm on Facebook and Twitter and stuff, too. So and then check out the podcast. Just search Whiskey Throttle show on spotify or apple or anywhere and uh it's under that and it'll be called power of the mind with ryan sipes awesome folks check them out definitely a great podcast i gave it a listen over the weekend and it was very very good and enlightening and i enjoyed it very much so ryan really appreciate you taking the time today with us and we wish you all the best with your recovery man that's uh it's been a tough year and uh, we can't wait to see you ride again man i appreciate it guys and and thanks for having me on it's always fun to, to come on and chat If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to follow Pit Pass Moto on your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. If you have a moment, please rate and review our show. We'd really appreciate it. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and visit pitpassmoto.com where you can check out our blog, listen to past episodes, and purchase your own Pit Pass Moto swag. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcasts. A special thank you to Tommy Boy Halverson and the production team at Wessler Media. I'm Dale Spangler. And I'm Dave Sulecki. See you next week on Pit Pass Moto. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not. It's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily.